Well, hey, church family. It's so good to see you guys um, and to be worshiping together. Um, I have missed that so much, and I have two kids playing baseball every weekend, so I'm honored to be here today and actually get to hang out with you guys. Um, I have had this amazing um, opportunity the last, gosh, eight months to serve dual, purp dual purpose um, in the role of both Heartlander and also the role that I serve on a day-to-day -day basis in my job with the Slingshot Group. And so um, I oversee our faith-based nonprofit division, but I also get to sit on our senior leadership team and had this amazing um, opportunity to serve our church, both in my role as a Heartlander and also in my role professionally uh, with the Slingshot Group. So I have been just basically following the journey, the wave, the God nudges that um, have brought us to this point to find two incredible leaders, families, um, the Herndon family and the Jacobson family. And um, I just wanted to share a little bit about what that looked like from the inside in terms of how my family navigated that and also how um, ultimately it led us to this point. So um, just a couple things I thought you guys, especially for you analytical people might find um, interesting, is our profile that we built about Heartland, about our church, about all the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between, which I loved that our church let us share so unabashedly because that's just the reality and that's who we are, we're authentic people. Um, we had 684 views of that profile. Um, I get to see how many people engage with that. So if you can imagine, that's a lot of people that took a look at our church. We're definitely on the map more if we weren't before. And then lastly, um, I got the chance to interact with 130 candidates. So as you can imagine, I was personally a little bit picky and, and invested personally um, for our church. And I know our church, I feel like really well. And uh, through that process, I got to see how my personal values, our church's values, and my organization that I work for Slingshot's values played out. So I just wanna give you um, a little sneak peek into that, just part of that journey, because it was definitely a long journey. I know you guys felt it. It took a while to get us to this point, and I recognize that. So the first thing, um, our church is anything but relational, and I love that about our church. Um, a point in case when the Herndon family was on the radar and thought maybe this could be a perfect match for one of these key, key leadership roles, we actually um, had two of our Heartlanders just drive up mid-COVID to, to Minneapolis, St. Paul, and spend time with the Herndon family and had coffee. And I love that. There was no question like, well, yeah, duh, of course we're going to do that because that's how we roll. We're Heartland. We're relational. Um, and I love that about our church. Um, along the way, too, um, you know, this was a long journey. And determined is another value that I feel like we're gritty people. Um, we're going to dig in. We're going to get the job done. And we're going to keep moving forward, even if there's bumps along the way. And so our team, uh, the search team, and all of you that really were patient and waited on God's faithfulness, we saw Search 1.0, which led us to Brad Herndon and Allison and his family, and then Search 2.0 that led us ultimately to Dan and to Kristen and to their family. Um, innovative, I love that along the way, we found Brad, and Brad was to come to us first. And instead of saying, well, this isn't really the, quite the right time, we really weren't sure, our church was like, yeah, this is what God's doing, and we're going to be innovative, and we're going to make this decision now to bring him to our team, because he was to come before our next key leadership role. And then Winsome, 
Um, our church is fun. Our church is crazy. I mean, how many times have you been hit on the head with candy that's been thrown from the stage or there's like a ladder or something random that happens during our church services? And what I loved is that our um, search team actually had some jokes played on them, not them themselves being a part of that joke, but our candidate that was interviewing was in on the joke and actually took our search team by surprise and totally was all in for that as part of the interviewee, which that's not normal. Um, but both Dan and Brad were put up to uh, a joke to basically play on in the interview process. Um, so that's just not normal, but for our church, it totally is. And then lastly, um, the thing that I got asked so many times in talking to all these different amazing people is why are you at Heartland? Why are you personally, why is your family there? What do you love about Heartland? And so I got to freely speak and share. And um, I think the thing I said every time, and I tried not to tear up when I was doing this last night with my husband, but I know the Lord is in this place. There's so much spirit in our church. Um, God is here and I've seen God at work and feel God at work here. And I believe wholeheartedly. Um, in that, and I could share that so honestly and truthfully, um, and I love that about our church as we welcome um, a new leader. And I just want to leave us um, before I get to invite who you're really here to see today, um, Dan. Up, I'm going to share a verse that um, Tom Bronner shared with us at a search team dinner, and it just really resonated with me in this process, this long um, but thoughtful, due diligent, and timely process that that we got to experience. So it's Proverbs 24, three through four. And it says, by wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And that is not a quick process, um, but our faithfulness and God's goodness has brought us this amazing, incredible leadership team, Brad, Dan, and our very own Craig Cheney. And um, I hope you guys will celebrate with me today and welcome Dan Jacobson as you get to hear about him for the first time today. So please welcome him. What's up, Harlan? How are we? We're good. We are good. Oh, my goodness. Uh, hi. Hi. It's just a delight to, to see you today. I wish Brooke would have told me all those stats before she hired me because now I'm a little nervous. Uh, but, but that's okay. Uh, hey, uh, there's a lot of us joining online. I was uh, checking the, the feed earlier. And so can we just say, hey, I know you're saying hi to me. Thank you. But can we say hey to your church family who's watching and joining us online? Hey, everybody. How are you? It's so glad that you have joined us today, wherever you are. Um, I, I'm going to talk to the people online because I was one of you for the past couple of months. I was watching along with Heartland from my uh, living room in my kitchen in Northwest Indiana. And so thank you for joining us. Uh, and so for me to be here, having been online for such a long time, it's kind of a, I, it's a little surreal, honestly. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a, um, a mind-boggling moment for, for me. Uh, my wife and uh, my kids are still back in uh, Northwest Indiana. I think they're probably watching online. Hey, guys. Um, but uh, since they're not here, I wanted to throw a, a picture of our family up so you could see it. Um, I know what you're thinking. Dan, do you have any other shirts? <laughs> but at least I got a shirt. 
because my little dude, I don't know what happened to him. But this is our, this is our, uh, this is our family. Uh, Kristen and I have been married for uh, 11 years, and uh, we are so just thrilled with the, the way that God has provided for us. This is uh, in my lap is my daughter, Elin. She's just the, the greatest. She's uh, seven, uh, going on 17. And then uh, there's Graham in the middle. He's four. He's really excited. He asked us, he said, Dad, are there ice, is there ice cream in Kansas? <laughs> I said, is there? I think there's a lot of it, bro. And then uh, Miles is our sweetheart. He's six years old. He's the coolest kid. And um, he's really pumped to come out to uh, Kansas City. He said, I've always wanted to live in a place with the, with the name City in the name. <laughs> I was like, great, let's go to Kansas City. You know, over the past couple of, of weeks and really months, we've been discerning what God would have for us as a family. And every step of the way, it's really cool to hear, Brooke, your perspective of how the search has gone from the Heartland side of things, because every step of the way for the Jacobsons, we've been just feeling like God has been leading and, and guiding. Every step has brought us closer and closer to what we felt like is, is his next thing for our family, but also the next best thing for Heartland here in, in this church family. And it's just incredible to see God bring us together. Um, we, uh, we're saying a lot of goodbyes where we live right now. I live uh, just outside of Chicago in Northwest Indiana. And um, I was asked if, if I could share a little bit about who I am. And I realized one of those moments of goodbyes that I've recently had maybe will help you get a sense for who I am quicker than anything else. I mean, it'll take a while for us to really get to know each other. I'm really looking forward to that. But I want to give you a head start. Uh, the other day, I was talking to one of my friends, and we were processing the fact that we're moving along and we're moving to Kansas. And he was like, Kansas, what's in Kansas? I was like, bro, you don't even know. Um, and so we're, we're talking, and he goes, you know, Dan, I'm going to miss you. And here's why I'm going to miss you. And I was like leaned in, did that thing where like, we don't go deep very often, but like, I feel like we're going to go deep right now. And he goes, I'm going to miss you, man, because out of all my friends, you're the least dramatic. <laughs> and I was like, thanks, I think. I mean, is that a compliment? Least dramatic. Like, you're the one that causes the least amount of drama in my life. I think what he was saying was like, Dan, you're really easy to be around. You're really easy to connect with. He and I worked on the same staff together. He's like, you know, of all the people, you're the one that I have the least amount of friction with. But, but I heard it in my insecure filter as like, Dan, you're boring. <laughs> like, you're just, Dan, I'm going to miss your boring self. I mean, that's a me thing, right? I'm working on that. But but it, it surprised me because while I may not be the one providing the drama, I am definitely here for the drama. Come on. I mean, I am in it for the drama. I'm the guy who like at Thanksgiving dinner is like egging on the politics discussion to see if I can get crazy Uncle Joey to be able to like say the things that blow the thing up. Like I'm just sitting there eating my turkey going, what do you think about, huh? I'm the guy who's like peering through the windows with a bowl of popcorn as like my neighbors are arguing on the street. Like I am here for it, you know what I mean? I'm the guy who was watching online a couple weeks ago here at Heartland Online as one of our newer staff members, I won't say his name, <clears throat> but he's a Cardinals fan. <laughs> this dude had the audacity to roll up into Royals territory and to proclaim his undying love and allegiance to the Cardinals. What was that? That was drama, and I'm here for it. Right? Like, like I... I I may be from Chicago, but, but here's what I want to let you know. Right off the gate, like, I love the Royals. Come on! Like, I just, I love the Royals. I mean, you, 
What is not to like about the Royals? I mean, they, they're, they're fun. They bring a lot of news. They, there's a, something for you always to see. I love the podcasts on the Royals. I love all the Royals. I love the new Royals. I love the old Royals. I even love these Royals. <laughs> all of them. I love all the Royals. Talk about drama. I mean, Harry and Meghan got married, and the whole country was like, oh, man, we love these people. And then they quit the family, and we were like, we don't care. We're here for it. Like, we are here for the drama. I want to think about the phrase that I've kind of been repeating for, for you just over the past couple of moments, here for it, here for it, here, here for it. What, what, are, what am I here for? And, and I'm curious, what are you, what are you here for? Here for, it's, it's a phrase I hear all the time recently where people have just kind of, their way of saying, this is something that's going on that's unique that doesn't happen every day. And while it might be dramatic, I'm actually in here for it. If I were to ask you, like, why are you here? If I were just to turn that into a question, why are you here? What, what are you doing here? You, you would tend to slip into some sort of like uh, existential depression. You'd be like, what am I doing here? I've never thought about it that way. That's a really deep question. That's like a life altering thing. What, but if I say, hey, uh, hey, I'm here for it. What are you here for? It changes it for you a little bit. It actually has a way of sharpening the, the thing and the purpose for which you're actually present. It has a way, this phrase, here for it, it has a way of bringing us from what's around us and what's out there to actually hyper-focusing us here in this moment right here, right now. Here for it. There's a lot that we can be here for. I'm wondering, what are you here for? There's a story uh, in the Bible that I think shows us how powerful the presence of just being here for it can be in our lives. I'm convinced that one of the profound opportunities that we have in our lives is to simply say to God, whatever comes, I'm here for it. I, I believe that if we had a here for it attitude and a here for it mentality, it would actually radically change who we are as people and it would change our entire World. And to kind of prove it to you, I want to just go to the Bible. You, you can uh, join me if you have a Bible or if you've got a phone or if you just want to watch on the screen. That's totally fine. But I want, I want to talk about the story from, from this one woman named Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was a follower of Jesus. She was someone who loved Jesus, and her story is told by the disciple John in John chapter 20. And um, Mary is a here-for-it person. So if you've ever gone to church on Easter, you've probably heard this story before, but I just want to jump in with it. And here, here's how it goes in John chapter 20. It's still dark outside. Mary is walking in the dark on the first day of the week towards the tomb that holds her friend's body. Not really like your here for it type of idea. John tells us that Mary went to the grave, but he doesn't tell us why she went to the grave. But that's okay. Then, just like now, there's only a few reasons why you go to a grave. You go because you want to reflect, you want to remember, you want to experience closure with the person that you loved. Mary Magdalene loved Jesus. She lived out of an overflow of thanks to God because she had been on the receiving side of one of Jesus' miracles. She knew Jesus to be gentle and freeing and loving and healing. In her mind, Jesus was not a criminal monster that the whole world had made him out to be when they unjustly crucified him. No, he was greater than what people thought. She knew him for who he was. And in 
her mind, unable to sleep, Mary made a conscious decision on this Sunday morning to deal with her pain and acknowledge her grief. In one sense, Mary was going to the grave saying, I don't like it. This is uncomfortable. I wish it were any other way, but I'm here for it. I'm here for my grief. When she arrived at the tomb, this is probably the part that you've heard of the story, she doesn't get her closure because the tomb is empty and the body of Jesus is missing. She races back to the disciples. She tells them the shocking news and two of Jesus' followers, Peter and then John, who's actually writing these words, they get up, they race to the tomb, they see the empty grave and they don't know what to do about it. John actually tells us in John 20, verse 9, that they, they didn't understand what was happening. And so John, uh, verse 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 10 says this. This is what John says. He says, then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Jesus' best followers go, they run, they race, they see, they can't figure it out. And so what do they do? They go back home. But Mary, Mary stayed and stood outside the tomb crying. Mary stayed there in the graveyard crying. This kind of low-key bothers me. Maybe it's our culture's sort of like uncertainty with cemeteries and sort of the, the, the feelings that that evokes, but I've always wondered, like, why does she stay? Why does Mary stay in the midst of this tragedy? The disciples, Jesus is elite in his entourage, they see and then they go home, but she stays and she cries. And I don't actually have a good answer for this question, but, but the fact that she stays tells us one thing. It tells us how important Jesus is to her. It tells us and shows us in her heart how, how Jesus first, she was in her life. How she was willing to, in the midst of the sorrow, in the midst of this pain, be able to stay present in her emotions and stay present in the graveyard. And so she stays and she stands and she cries. And as she cries, she peers into the grave and she sees two angels. Maybe you're watching at home and you, you know, this is like where the Bible loses you because like you're in for the Jesus stuff, but the supernatural stuff kind of freaks you out. And so just hang with me for a moment. I want you to see what happens. These angels, they're, they're standing, one at the, where Jesus' head would have been and one at where Jesus' feet would have been. And Mary turns and she looks in and Mary is one of the first people to have a conversation with Jesus, or with angels, I'm sorry, that doesn't begin, don't be afraid. <laughs> every other time angels show up in the story, every time you flip in the Bible and you see angels talking to people, they have to start, don't pee your pants. And Mary, in the midst of this moment, in the midst of this new day, in the midst of this new dawn, in the midst of this uncertain situation that she finds herself in, she finds through tears, she talks to angels, and the angels just engage with her like she's one of them. She looks in, and they look at her, and they ask this question. They say, woman, why are you crying? I kind of like to imagine it, kind of knowing the end of the story. I kind of like to think about them looking at each other, being like, hey, oh. Why are you crying? Like, what's there to cry about here? But Mary, so present in what she's feeling, look at what she responds. She says, they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. Mary's saying, I'm here for it. I'm here for my pain. I'm here for my grief. I'm here for whatever is going to happen as I deal with my emotions. But 
Everything that I wanted to deal with is now missing, and in the midst of that missing, I, I don't understand what's happening. And all I want is to find Jesus. And as she steps away from the tomb, John tells us that she turned and through her tears, she saw someone that John tells us is actually Jesus standing right there. But she didn't recognize him. And Jesus looks at her and asks her the same question that the angels asked her. He says, woman, why are you crying? And then he adds this next part, who is it that you're looking for? John tells us, Mary, thinking that he was the gardener, said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. I love the irony of this story. I love the fact that everything that's happening is Jesus sort of just like wink, wink, nudge, nudging Mary. That he's putting her on a little bit of a chase here to find him. Here is a woman who believes that the body of her friend has been carried away by the gardener, which is actually true. Because Jesus, the gardener, actually picked up his life, he put back his body, and he walked out of the grave, thereby carrying himself away. So yeah, the gardener has taken the body away. But not only that, she assumes that this gardener would have done the thing because um, this body, the gardener probably would have assumed this dead body was just discarded in this place where nobody would want him. Like that old couch you didn't know what to do with, so you threw it off the back of a thing into a place where nobody would find it. You've never done that before? <laughs> All right, I'll call somebody. She thinks that the gardener has been inconvenienced in his gardening by the corpse that's in the grave. But the irony gets even richer. And I wonder if you saw it, that Jesus asks her these two questions. He asks her, why are you crying? And who you are seeking? And obviously she says, I'm seeking Jesus. But in his asking her, Jesus actually shows us something just ridiculously amazing about who he is and what he's all about. Because while she's seeking Jesus, Jesus is actually seeking He's drawing her out. He's, he's in his hovering, in his presence, in his questioning. He's, he's standing before her and, and telling her, I'm here for you. This is one of the greatest pictures of the gospel that I can think of. This is one of the greatest paradoxes of life and faith. It's a picture, a picture of two people on the hunt, two people who are, who are looking for each other, two people who are seeking each other, trying to find one another. We're really confident and comfortable with the idea of us seeking God, aren't we? I mean, if you go on Google, one of the most searched terms about God is, who is God? How do I find God? We've got pop songs about finding God. We've got that one annoying song. What if God was one of us? Right, it's like this whole idea of like, maybe God's everywhere. You know, people have ideas of how you can find God, where God is. We're, we're, we're naturally thinking about how can we seek God? How can we find God? Something that we don't think about though is, how does God find us? And does God seek us? But if you look at the pages of the Bible, which I'm excited to do, you know, as long as you guys will have me do this, 
if you look at the pages of the Bible, Jesus in, in, in the Gospel of Luke, he says that the son came to seek and to save that which was lost. In Luke chapter 15, one of the things that's lost is a son who goes off and he leaves his father's house and he comes back to his father. And the idea is this son turned around and came back and is seeking his father, but only comes to the edge of the town to find out that his father has been standing on the edge of his property with his binoculars, waiting for the moment when he would see his son. The father was standing there the whole time seeking him. John has already told us in John chapter 4 about this exchange between this woman from Samaria at this well where Jesus literally tells her, he says to the woman, he says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And check this out. He says, for the Father is seeking those people to worship him. Mary is here for the body of Jesus. We know that's why she's here. But what is Jesus seeking in Mary? And by proxy, what is Jesus seeking in you and in me? He's seeking faith, belief, a worship attitude that puts Jesus first. He's seeking this awareness and this living out of this awareness, the fact that Jesus is not dead and discarded, but he is alive and he is active. He wants her to see that he is alive and Jesus wants her to be here for it when he reveals his new life to the world. And so watch what happens. I want you to see what's happening. He's already asked her two questions. See how he's just drawing her out, trying to help her see and be aware of the fact that he has new life. Watch how he does this. Here's the next verse. Then Jesus said to her, do you guys just say this with me? If you're sitting at home, say it with me. Mary. You didn't say it with me. <laughs> Jesus said to her, what? Mary. Okay, so... If this was me, my twisted sense of humor, and I was Jesus, and I was in the garden, I'd be standing behind the rock, right? Because that, that's what I would have done. And then they'd be looking, and then I'd pop out and be like, surprise! Because I'm twisted. But how just like Jesus is it for him to stand before the one he loves and just whisper her name? And in that moment, Mary's eyes are opened, her tears are falling, but she sees and she recognizes and she calls out, John tells us it's in Aramaic, Rabboni, which is the name that nine times out of 10, she would have called Jesus. That was her like way of addressing him. She would say, teacher, and she'd fall down and wrap her arms around him. And you'd think in this moment, this reunion moment, that this would be a great time to just hang out and be with Jesus. But Jesus tells her something surprising. He says, don't cling to me. Don't hold on to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And so Mary goes and she tells the disciples the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them the things that he had said to her. In this moment, I'm so taken aback by the fact that Jesus chose to reveal himself to Mary and put in her hands the most precious news in the world to that moment. If, if, if something major happens, you want to get it on every news outlet, don't you? If something in the world happens today, you want to get it on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook so quickly so that the world can see it. You want to get that thing on YouTube. 
And Jesus did not make a press release. Jesus didn't call for the angels who sang at his birth in the sky. He didn't summons them again to say, hey guys, sing that song again that talks about me coming back. No, he took the news and he put it in the most frail hands. Hands that were there for death were to take back the words of life. And I love that Jesus surprised Mary by whispering her name. This is so like Jesus to use our names to get our attention, to show us that he sees us and ask us if we see him too, to, to surprise us with more than we ever thought was possible. I mean, think about it. Here was Mary who was here for Jesus' death. She was there for her grief. She was present for being sad, present in her emotions, but she showed up anyway. She was here for it. She said, I don't care how difficult this is going to be. I love Jesus so much that I am here for it. And because she showed up, Jesus surprised her. Here, here's all I'm trying to say today. It's for those who show up that Jesus surprises. To the ones who show up and enter in are the ones that Jesus says, you'll see me. People who show up for Jesus get to experience the surprise of Jesus, that personal surprise of knowing that Jesus sees us and he knows us and he's actually been seeking us too. There's a part in the story, I don't really wanna make up too big of a deal about it, but there's two moments of surprise that Mary experiences that John writes into the story. And the first is, when Mary talks to the angels and she's finished with her complaint, John says that she turned and saw Jesus. And then Jesus asked her two questions and then he whispered her name. And after he whispered her name, Mary turned to him in awareness and faith. And I think this is the surprise that because Jesus turned death around, he can turn us around too. Jesus turned Mary's funeral service into a reunion and he turned her sorrow into joy. He turned her seeking into sending. He says, go tell my brothers the good news. And so Mary, the one who came to the grave now is sent with some news and she goes and she tells the disciples this news. And in my mind, this is how she says it. I think she barges into the house where John and Peter are staying and she just goes like this. She says, "Never mind, y'all, I found him. He's alive, and he's ascending in his father. And oh, by the way, his father is our father now too. And his God is our God now too. And I don't know where this is going, but I am so here for it. This is Mary's example for us. This is a story that is more than just a story. This is an invitation into a new way of life. This is a, an invitation to a way that gives us permission to bring God our emotions and our sorrows, to bring God whatever it is that we experience, whatever it is that we feel, to say to him and to say to ourselves that whatever you bring me, God, I'm here for it. Because Jesus turned death around, you can turn this around. B because Jesus turned death around, you can turn my marriage around. Because Jesus turned death around, you can turn my kids around. 
Because Jesus turned death around, you can turn my job around. Because Jesus turned death around, you can turn my anxiety around. Because Jesus turned death around, you can turn my depression around. Because Jesus turned death around, you can turn my sorrow into joy. Because you live, I have life that you've invited me into personally. Because you turned it around, I'm new and I'm here for it. I've been trying to practice this here for it type of presence in my own life the past couple of weeks. It's not been easy. I'll share with you a little bit how it's been going for me. Um, We're coming from a place where Kristen and myself are dearly, dearly loved. And I think I like you guys, (laughs) but let's be real, this is like first date stuff, right? And so the, the one phrase that I can put over my life and my emotions right now is, is simply the phrase bittersweet. We're so excited about what God's doing and the fact that God has led us and has been so encouraging and, and, and Brooke only scratched the surface with how the Lord has been so clearly leading us and bringing our hearts in alignment with what God's doing here at Heartland and what God wants to do at Heartland. We're so here for it. But I also feel the pain and the disappointment and the sorrow over leaving people who we deeply love. And so I made a decision weeks ago to just be present in those emotions. Normally, here's what I would do. I would dive into work. I would distract myself. I would try and watch a little bit more Netflix than is healthy. But, but I haven't done that. I've, I've allowed myself to bring my emotions and my presence to God and say, God, whatever you have right now, I'm here for it. I'm here in this sorrow. I'm here in this excitement. Sometimes I'm here at both at once. And as I've been able to bring that to God, I've been realizing that in the midst of it, I have not become bitter, even though I feel bittersweet. In the midst of it, I haven't become depressed. I haven't gone mad. I haven't become despondent. <laughs> Actually, the more that I've been able to understand where I'm at and what God's doing in my heart and to come open-handed and say, God, whatever you have, I'm here for it. I found that my heart has become more full of faith. And I've actually feel like I've gotten clarity on my purpose. Because as I've brought my life to God and said, God, here's how I'm feeling. Are you doing something in this? Are you present here in this departure? Are you present here in this arrival? God, what are you doing here? I've recognized that I'm here for it only because I'm here for him. And when you're here for him, you can be here for anything. That's the, the story of how Mary has been gently leading me and my family out of the, 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 the graveyard and into a garden, so to speak. That's how the story of Mary and her, her presence in a garden, finding and meeting the risen Savior, that's how she has influenced me. She's allowed me to show up to Jesus with my emotions and be surprised by what he does in me. To endure the search because when it's over, I realize that it wasn't me finding him, but him finding me. And if I'm here for him, I can be here for anything. And that's turned our goodbyes back home sweeter. And that's turned our future here even more exciting because I'm not just here for you. I'm here for Jesus. And because we're here for him, 
we can be here for it. Harlan, I'm not sure what the surprise of Jesus is gonna be over the next couple of months and years, but I want you to know I'm here for it because I'm here for him. Like Chris and I are stepping out of our faith community across state lines, leaving our house into a new territory because Jesus is that important to us that we're willing to pay the cost to have a Jesus first life. A life that when, when we see him and we wrap our arms around him, he says to us, no, don't cling on to me, but go and tell my brothers that I am alive and I am active in this life. When I brought my self-pity to Jesus, he changed it for his purpose. He took what was going on in me and my obsession with myself, and he said, Dan, that's great that you think you're bittersweet right now, but I've got a purpose for which I'm sending you, and so you're going to get up, and you're going to go to my brothers and my sisters, and you're going to tell them the greatest news of all time, that I'm not dead and discarded, but I am alive and I'm living. What started as a me thing, when I brought God my thing, he turned it into his thing. And isn't this what God always does? Mary is there for her thing, for her emotions, for her sorrow, for her funeral over Jesus. And God interrupted her plans with the surprise of life. And he turned her around. Go, go to my brothers, he says. Tell them I'm going to my father. Be invited into this life. And as I've been processing through some of my own emotions and some of my own dreams and, and some of what I've been thinking about, the my things, the me things in my heart, I've also been surprised by Jesus that he has taken the most precious news and put it in the most frail hands, Mary's hands, but also our hands. Maybe the greatest surprise of all is that Jesus uses ordinary people in outsized purposes. And if I could be honest with you, Hartland, this is an honest place, I think. If not, it's gonna, about to be. I don't feel adequate. But I'm here for it. Because I'm here for him. You know what I mean? I wanna to talk to somebody right now who maybe you're watching online. You don't know why you're watching. You thought you were gonna watch some other church today, but you're watching this one. And as we've been thinking about this story, as we've been thinking about the life that Mary discovered at the grave where she thought she was going to a funeral seeking Jesus' body and she found out that Jesus was seeking her the whole time. Maybe today you yourself have been curious about Jesus, where you can find him, and, and, and you have realized today that while you've been seeking him, he's been seeking you. And I want to invite you, wherever you are, wherever you're listening to the sound of my voice, that you would come to Jesus and uh, by faith believe that he's alive and he's ruling and reigning. He is not dead. He is not discarded, but he is alive and he is active and he wants to turn your situation and your life around just like he turned Mary's. Now I want to invite you, just like I'm inviting all of us here in this room right now, to, to embrace the Jesus first life that says, I, I don't care what happens, but I'm here for him. And in that, having our sorrows turn to joy and having our weeping turn to laughter, having our death turn to life. Brothers, sisters, I want to invite you to follow Jesus with your life as I follow Jesus with my life too.
Whether you're watching this at home and you're about to hop into your car, this new life follows you with you. Your, your, your joy goes with you to the office tomorrow. Your joy goes with you to your kids' sidelines when you're sweating outside and you have no joy. Your joy goes with you in whatever it is that God's bringing you through. You can say, I'm here for it because I'm here for you. And Heartland, I'm so excited about what God has in the future for us together, to see lives changed and lives transformed as we come to Jesus and we say to him, whatever happens, whatever is here, I'm here for it because I'm here for you. And I wonder what would happen if we postured ourselves together to say, God, we're here for you. You you are the most important thing for us. You're the most important person. We're here for you. And so whatever comes our way, we're here for it. Surprise us, change us, turn us as you see fit. I wonder what would happen. Actually, I know what would happen. The same thing would happen to us that happened to Mary Magdalene at the grave. She would be given the news that would change the world. And she would go and she would change the world. Some of you wish I would have just said change Kansas City. But the invitation of Jesus is bigger than anything we've ever imagined in our entire lives. The most precious news in the most frail hands, in our hands, in your hands. One of Jesus' first followers was a, a, a guy who went around starting churches, and he prayed over one of the churches that he started. He prayed this prayer, and I just want to pray it over us together as we close our time right here. He said this, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You know what that is in church speak? It just simply means I'm here for it. Let's pray. Father, we're delighted in the fact that you have invited us to see your new life and to participate in your new life and to have your presence among us even in the mundane every days of our lives to say that we can be here for it because we're here for you. God, give courage to us as we leave this place to walk with confidence that you are calling us. God, give courage and strengthen our weak hands. Give power to our lives and our voices. Be present in this church. May your spirit fall on us. And may you do immeasurably more than we've ever dreamed about. It's your name we pray. Amen. Harlan, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys a lot more in the coming weeks. But um, until then, next week, I hope you can come back for a brand new teaching series that we're starting called Ready for More. You don't want to miss it. Go in God's grace. We'll see you.